Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. The following interview is about the effects of climate change on various psychiatric issues. The reference to the Climate Psychiatry Alliance was cut out because of technical issues. The file was corrupted. We needed to add that to the list. David Pollack and Beth Haas are psychiatrists, and they have spent a great deal of time worrying about the effects of climate change on our mental health. Recently, they wrote an article in Psychiatric News. Thank you both for being with us. I think this is going to be interesting. So many of the points that you bring up in your article apply to everybody, but what in particular are the concerns about climate change? David, why don't you start? The article stresses those main things that are the concerns in regard to mental health professionals, the mental health impacts, heat, air pollution, the array of anxiety and trauma and related symptoms that people are having, both as a result of disasters and other impacts that they're experiencing that may be related to climate change, impacts on their degree of hope and fears for the future and for future generations. Do you find that the mental health community is responding to these concerns, or is it still somewhat distant, shall we even say perhaps, alien to their way of thinking? Well, I think that in answer to both questions, really, a lot of people are trying to figure out how does it fit into their work as psychiatrists and therapists and how much to ask about it versus wait. And because climate change is always sort of the 10th priority on the list, climate change is not likely to be the first thing that someone brings up to figure out what the role of the psychiatrist is. And I think they're also in bringing it up with the patient and how to do that. And I think they're also aware of the fact that it is a shift in our role. And they're wondering about the balance between the public health aspect of it versus the role in their individual treatment settings. I agree. I find that too many of my colleagues don't look at the larger gestalt issues around the person's entire life. Do you find people, when you talk to other psychiatrists or just mental health providers and talk about what all you're doing, do you find acceptance? Do you find enthusiasm? What sort of feedback? <laughs> this is a long answer for your question because I think okay. it relates to what you asked a moment ago. Part of the question was what have we seen or what kind of re change in receptivity? And I think over the last six years since we really got together, Beth and others have been doing work on this a lot longer than that. We were getting a lot of resistance from within the psychiatric community and other mental health professionals, but it has grown with all the presentations we've done and in a number of position papers within the APA. There's a lot more recognition, and it's been paralleled by what the other medical society organizations have done, most notably the American Medical Association. This is a terrible public health problem, and we need to deal with it. The National Academy of Medicine has programs that they're developing now on the climate crisis. We're seeing the parallel between mental health professionals. The American Psychological Association has been very active. But what we've also seen is dilemma that people experience in regard to, well, do I have to be the person that is asking people that's looking out for these concerns? Others are saying, well, maybe we should have just people who specialize in climate psychiatry. And I would argue that both things are important, that we need to educate everyone. But they need to, in a sense, tithe a portion of their career to doing some concern and addressing it in whatever way, whether it's clinical or policy or as citizens in regard to the climate crisis, people to specialize in climate and mental health issues so they can be available as consultants to others to help them. 
there's a vast array of things that are going on, and it also relates, as part of your question I think alludes to, the healthcare world has been taking more into account and recognizing the impact of the social determinants of health and mental health. And we recognize that climate crisis, pollution, and other environmental factors are clearly determinants and structural determinants of health and mental health. So by focusing on that, and it's interesting that the current issue of the American Journal of Psychiatry is all on the impacts of social determinants, but it has a clear connection, I think, to the climate crisis. So we're seeing that happen is something that we can now be better able to persuade our colleagues to at least pay attention to these issues. Just to add to that, people are underskilled in terms of identifying it, so they're fairly hungry for information. So the interest in disaster psychiatry, I think, has risen dramatically in the last couple of years. This year, people are very interested in heat effects on psychiatric symptoms and medications. These things are really happening more immediately in people's experience. They would really like to have the knowledge base. They just need some skills to get them into the topic. And they also need, in my opinion, pressure, persuasion from the, I'm not in an academic center, to think about things. I also have a master's in psychiatric social work. And when I went to school, we were required to go into the homes of some of our patients so that we could see what it was like when they lived there. That was eye-opening, and it just has tainted me ever since to ask more than just about the immediate presentation. The article that we wrote really came out of some work that the ACTI is doing to try to set a standard for what should be taught about climate change to psychiatrists and to work with other organizations such as the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology to start to get questions on the boards. There's some work going on at the Columbia Mailman School of Public Health to get resident students involved in designing questions and developing curricula uh, for things that they would like to learn about climate change. So I think, as you were saying, that as we get this more of the standard of care in psychiatry, they will get a little bit more attention. If you think about how in the last several years, the connection between climate and health impacts has been emerging and becoming much more prominent, then one would recognize, oh, we better putting this into the curricula for undergraduate medical training programs, graduate medical programs, including psychiatry residency, and continuing medical education programs, all three levels of education. If you come to that, whoa, we've got to develop curricula. And then you go, well, how do we fit it in? It's zero-sum game in a lot of cases. You, you don't have much room. How do we negotiate with the various academic training programs for other health disciplines to incorporate this kind of content into the curriculum, not just as an elective, but as a core part of their curriculum. And that's what a lot of us have been trying to do at our various medical schools and other academic health centers. We also have to get faculty developed to do this work and pay attention to the consumers of the education product, the students, and recognize that they're asking for this. So it's leading to a real significant expansion of this kind of work throughout the country and elsewhere. The categories that you listed in the article could very well serve as 12 chapters in a textbook on how to, or a course, a curriculum. Let's look at some of them because they're important and I don't, I just don't want to run out of time. And I'm not picking them with any particular priority or sequence. What do you mean by understanding heat and its impact? Temperatures now in many parts of the country are non-physiologic, meaning that if the power grid were to go out, many people would die because of how hot it is. 
Very few psychiatrists have extensive training in thermal regulation. Regulation is incredibly important. It's something that the body invests a tremendous amount in, that you're constantly adjusting your blood vessels and your skin and you know all your organs to be at the right set point. So I think we really need more awareness about, along with that, a great number of psychiatric symptoms and psychiatric diagnoses and psychiatric medications are influenced by temperature, both in positive and negative ways. So I think this is an area where people just really need to know what is happening with the symptoms and medications that they're seeing in their practice. So it's a kind of basic neuropsychiatric education that is required right now. Some of the data points that we often cite are increased risk of suicide, increased risk of individual-on-individual and group-on-group violence during heat waves, as well as the disproportionate risk that people with severe and persistent psychiatric illnesses may bear to getting heat stroke or dehydration because in terms of taking care of themselves and staying hydrated or being exposed to the elements more than other people, but also the impact of the medications interfering with that thermoregulatory process makes them three or four times dying from heat stroke than the general population. Also of concern is the notions of habitat change and neurobiology our shores are disappearing. Comment on that, if you would. There's such grief when people see their home change in these fundamental ways. So I think for most people right now, that is what they're on the awareness of the law. But obviously, that kind of change carries tremendous threat with it as well. And we're looking at, you know, millions and millions of climate refugees as habitats do change. So I think that this brings with it refugee crises at a level that we haven't seen previously with all of the social conflict and difficulties of acculturation and and establishing a thriving life that refugees face. So there's a lot going on there, obviously. Studies looking at things like areas where mountaintops are removed for coal or where there's drought that looks at the effect on mental health, landscape changes, a great deal of depression that comes with that. The impacts of climate and the change in environment on people who depend on the land and who are more connected to the land for their livelihood and their cultural identification and so forth, whether it's indigenous people or ranchers, farmers, etc., they then go through a period of loss, but they also have to adapt to the change. We can no longer, for example, go onto the ice on the sea because there isn't any ice to hunt for the animals that we depend upon or ways that we raise crops or the food supply. The term that's been proposed is eco-anxiety. Being worried about your ecologic environment, is that something that's treatable? Is it something that we teach about, that we develop advocacy about? How do we handle it? How common is (laughs) eco-anxiety? Well, about 70% of people that will have eco-anxiety, you know, so much of the American population and the global population is deeply worried about what's happening with the climate. So it certainly is the anxiety that, that you're not asking about in your office, but it may take other forms as well, you know, and the word nostalgia, for example, has been used to describe this sense of loss. And even more diffusely, you know, people don't necessarily identify it as related to climate change at all, but just, you know, conditions of smoke or so forth will cause an overall change in population population sentiment so that people will be feeling a little bit more negatively without necessarily identifying it as linked to climate change. So there's a whole range that have been identified. Terrafuria is a word that has been used for ecological grief, a whole host of feelings. There are a number of things that are important in relation to this, though, Abby. One is that not everyone, in fact, probably a small percentage of those who have eco-anxiety are suffering from something that a psychiatric intervention is merited for. 
can say the first line of treatment or defense, if you will, in relation to this is to help people get engaged in local community-level activities to work on either climate or other issues that are related and interdependent. We don't want to over-apologize people who may have these responses to an overwhelming problem that is rational, it's not irrational. And unless they experience some form of impairment, putting them on medications or necessarily in psychotherapy, although there are a number of group-related opportunities for people to self-help groups and others that are available to work on that. And it turns out the next article we're going to have in Psychiatric News, hopefully in August, is going to be on methods for mental health professionals, including psychiatrists, to work with eco-anxiety. That's excellent because these ideas are very good. They remain somewhat characterized as ideas, good points. We have to energize and execute them into behaviors. My biggest concern when we do the podcast is how quickly we run out of time because we can't get to all the points. Are we making significant progress in understanding this? Are we making significant progress in educating and helping people? This is a complicated question. I apologize for the complexity of it. But are we doing something to help minimize the amount that we can modify climate change. I think we're doing very well in terms of raising awareness and helping people understand both the biological and the psychological effects of the crisis. Out of psychiatry, there are numerous programs and practices and groups that are working very hard to help people process the nature of this change that we are going through both at an individual and community level, the kind of just transition that we need to have. And this is a psychic shift as much as it is a cultural shift, as much as it is a shift in our relationship. I think there's a lot happening. Um, It's obviously not fast enough, and we need more policy action. And that's why it's so exciting that the American Medical Association, leading coalition of uh, medical journal editors, physicians are really standing up and demanding that policy change and advocacy be part of our job as doctors. I agree. David, your thoughts? I think we are making progress. We're both raising alarms in terms of educating people about the connections to mental health in particular, and by doing so, causing people to go, this is something that's happening now, and it's affecting me and my family and my grandchildren and other people I care about. Then we have articulated more kinds of mental health impacts, and people get it now. We feel like we're really progressing dramatically. The other thing that's really exciting is I'm stepping out of my active career in psychiatry and public policy. I'm seeing lots and lots of younger people, early career health providers who are taking this on and doing a terrific job and saying we need to continue doing this and expand what we're doing. The trajectory we're on is not very hopeful. Where can people go for truly accurate information, the best unbiased information, any sense of a resource There's the website of the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health, which is an organization of organizations of all different medical societies and health provider organizations. There's the Global Consortium on Climate and Health Education that Beth referred to that's based at the Mailman School of Public Health at Columbia University. They have a good website with a lot of resources. School's now putting on courses. We're doing it at Oregon Health and Science University, for example. I know that Utah is doing it and other schools. Something that's really important, and that is this idea that this is our future, that we have to, in effect, budget a part of our time as health professionals to addressing this area of practice or work we're doing. And I can't say that strongly enough. We can't avoid it. So it's part of our future, and the sooner we accept it and 
incorporated into our way of being and whatever we're doing clinically or the better off we'll be. I was talking to a physician who is older than me. He said dealing with the climate change challenges must be similar to what it was like for doctors many years ago to have to come to terms with washing their hands. They made a difference, and it wasn't the usual way in which they did things. It was a bit different. <laughs> and I like that. Yeah. In some ways, the pandemic kind of helps stimulate people to problems. There are a number of interesting links. I'm just going to say that I think the challenge is to keep it in mind in the room in the same way that you have to keep in mind that a patient is going through if they lost their mother three to six months ago. Um, to be aware that the climate crisis is equally important in their lives so that you can bring it up. And often it'll come up in these sort of ways that have to do with I'm concerned about the state of the world. If you're mindful that this could be one of the things, you might be more attuned to hearing about it. And the clinical example that I wanted to mention was a guy who came in for alcohol dependence to an emergency room for a detox upsetting him was that he had grown up camping and the climate crisis was devastating him. But you would never know that that was the reason for his suicidal thinking and alcoholism unless you asked. This is an issue that some psychiatrists bristle at and that is unethical for me to bring this up with a patient. They're not bringing it up. I shouldn't bring it up. But we think it's imperative. So we use this concept of take aim, A-I-M, ask and then inform and then motivate people about the issue to find out what their concerns are. I was once asked by a gynecologist how I knew so much information about a person's sexual behaviors and problems. And my answer was, <laughs> I asked. We're moving in that direction. And I thank you both. And, of course, I applaud you, you for all the work. Beth Hassan, David Pollock are both psychiatrists dealing with climate change issues and the psychiatric effects. I thank you both very much. Interesting, pertinent, timely. Use this information to take yet another step in the right direction. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. Good holiday. Bye. Bye.